What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 188 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Secret Space Conference episode. As always, we are your hosts. (laughs) Still a little bit of the brain fog, I guess. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Julian Field, Brad Abrahams, Mathilde, and Travis View. A couple months ago, we covered the Secret Space Program, or SSP, a conspiracy theory with roots in 19th century theosophy, 20th century New Age thinking, and the resurgent Christian millennialism of the 1980s. Its loose and far-ranging claims include the alleged cover-up of secret technologies cribbed from extraterrestrials, multiple long-running mind control programs, deep underground military bases, time travel, and military abductions. The villains in this story are a shadowy cabal of nefarious alien races collaborating with New World Order sickos to torture children, turn them into super soldiers, and deploy them on other planets. At the core of the SSP claims lies an epic battle between good and evil, and the promise of disclosure, and perhaps even justice, for the victims of intergalactic atrocities. Unsurprisingly, the subject matter overlaps quite a bit with QAnon. The most famous QMAP, for example, is stuffed full of secret space program claims. And some QAnon influencers, like the Kate Awakening, have become crossover hits. So when we found out that a four-day secret space conference was planned in Grafton, Illinois, and that she would be in attendance alongside Lala Deaton, a singer famous for her hit song, Where We Go On We Go All, I knew we had to attend. But with Travis extra busy working on Trickle Down, I figured it would fall to Jake and I to make our way to Grafton without him. There we would meet up with Brad, our inner earth correspondent currently working on a film project of his own with his co-director Simon. Surely, this was going to be fun. Journey to the Secret Space Conference. We were just a few days away from the Secret Space Conference in Grafton, Illinois, and Jake was still testing positive for the coronavirus. He sounded like shit on the phone, and profusely apologized for the crime of being symptomatic. (laughs) Poor guy's sinuses were all clogged up with snake venom and he was barely making any sense, so I told him he was a bad person and hung up on him mid-sentence. Clearly we wouldn't be sacrificing this bastard to the alien gods anytime soon. I found myself in the uncomfortable position of considering alternate offerings, but I had long ago stopped having friends, and anyways, who the hell would want to fly out to the middle of nowhere in the Midwest for a Q-related UFO conference spanning four weekdays from Monday to Thursday? I looked over at my wife. <laughs> she was at her computer. She was at her computer working on some visuals for an inspiring local political campaign. Attending the Secret Space Conference in Grafton sounded like a terrible, unreasonable idea. I had tons of work to do, and just the travel was going to cost us a couple of days. But I wanted to help Julian out, and I was maybe even a little intrigued to attend a UFO conference, so I said yes. Now excited, I considered wearing a full green pantsuit to look kind of like Dana Scully. (laughs) After subjecting Julian to a fashion show of different outfits, he shook his head and reminded me that we were going to be attending a gathering of far-right extremists. I decided to pack normal clothes. Unbeknownst to me at the time, I would still end up looking like a big city brunch lib once in southern Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) A brunch lib. (laughs) Yeah, you can't escape it. You can't escape it. Even when when, uh, Travis and I went to the... um trucker convoy and i picked out my best like maga ish looking sweatshirt mostly because it was red and everything the moment i got there i was like i'm a big stinking lib yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, people couldn't help keep telling Simon and I that we really stood out in the crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? What were you guys doing besides having cameras? I f- oh, I f- we'll get into it. <laughs> we'll get into what this guy okay, did. Okay, okay, okay. And so, after a nightmarish 24 hours of customer support conversations, we ended up flying into St. Louis a day late and rode a taxi across the Missouri River. As we headed west along its banks, I stared out the window at bleak industrial structures, cheaply built houses, and lush greenery, all presided over by a sprawl of dark clouds. Brad had arrived in Grafton a day before us, and I texted him as we neared the rental we'd be sharing. He was at the conference already. I asked him how things were going. He responded ominously. Still finding our footing. Weird, semi-hostile vibes. Grafton felt like a ghost town. As we pulled up to the house, I spotted a prominent thin blue line sign on our neighbor's lawn. Back the blue, it exclaimed in all caps. We were just a few blocks from the police station, and multiple local businesses sported similar signs in their windows. As I watched the taxi drive away, I realized that Matilda and I had made a grave mistake. (laughs) We really were in the middle of nowhere, and there was no way for us to get to the conference. The Paramarquette Lodge and Conference Center was 10 minutes away by car and two hours away on foot. Fuck. I briefly attempted to hitch a ride the old-fashioned way by pointing my thumb down the road, but none of the passing cars and trucks stopped. When I told Brad I was trying to hitchhike my way to the conference, he laughed at me and offered to come pick me up. He and his co-director Simon had smartly rented a vehicle. Meanwhile, Mathilde had received more work while we were in the air and decided to stay behind for the night. There was only a couple of hours left of scheduled activities anyways. She would join me the next day. Simon and I were at the conference for the first shoot of our new documentary, hoping to find someone that would make for a compelling subject in our film. But sadly for these two reptilian Jews, this was not in the stars. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could have been your third. We'd both filmed at conferences in the past, and aside from the subject matter, we didn't expect the mood of this one to be too different, especially since we had full permission to shoot. Our approach with shooting was to feel like we are a part of the conference, which meant being right in the crowd with our cameras, instead of voyeuristically far away with a long lens. But what we miscalculated was the level of paranoia that pervaded the atmosphere, and immediately pointing cameras at people's faces wasn't the right move. So while the sentiment towards us started with the benign curiosity, it quickly grew increasingly suspicious and hostile with each hour. When I received Julian's text about his insane Herzogian effort to hitchhike to the lodge, we had just been barred from filming yet another aspect of the conference. Dejected and confused, we headed back to the Airbnb to regroup. During the drive, I felt apprehension, bordering on torment with meeting Julian in person. Was he really as erratic and aggressive as everyone warned me? (laughs) Would he discriminate against me because of my thick Canadian accent? What would he smell like? When I opened the front door, the towering Swiss man barreled towards me, grunting and raising up his arm. Sorry. (laughs) The towering Swiss man barreled towards me, grunting and raising up his arms. I winced, thinking he was about to hit me, but to my bewildered belief, he embraced me in a long, intimate hug. That's very, very apt description. (laughs) After 10 minutes, he unclasped his arms and we sized each other up. (laughs) We saw we were both wearing vintage Star Trek The Next Generation t-shirts. Mine Data, his Jordy. And we realized we'd be twin flames from that moment onwards. (laughs) After relating the hostility we experienced, Julian promptly changed his shirt to avoid any association with us. Mathilde wished us luck and we headed back into the vortex. Not wanting to be associated with my two Canadian colleagues, I walked into the Pear Marquette Lodge a bit ahead of them. 
Almost as soon as I entered the massive lobby, which was serving as a dining room and expo floor, I spotted the main organizer, Tyler. Now, if you've listened to our episode about the Cupeld UFO conference that Travis and Jake attended in Sedona, Arizona, you might remember Tyler Kiwala, a secret space program podcaster who at the time was dating Kate Awakening, a longtime QAnon influencer who had recently left her non-red-pilled husband. Kate was scheduled to speak here on Thursday, but I hadn't spotted her at the conference yet. Kiwala had the concerned expression of a man in the process of organizing, quite successfully, a 200-person event. I walked up to him cheerfully. Are you Tyler? He looked me over suspiciously. Yeah, you with the Canadians? I knitted my brow, feigning confusion. Canadians? I'm Julian. We spoke by email. Uh, My friend couldn't make it, so I'm here with my wife. We flew in late, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, we just got here. As I mumbled explanations, Tyler seemed to relax a bit. But something had caught his attention just behind me. He patted me on the shoulder. Sorry, you got mixed up with someone else. Welcome. Just give me a second. I need to take care of these Canadians. Be right back. No problem, I said, making a beeline for the nearby Trump merch table. I pretended to look at the t-shirts for a moment, then discreetly glanced back at the entrance. (laughs) Tyler had his back turned to me and was chatting with Brad and Simon. The look on their faces told me it wasn't going well. As soon as we walked through the doors of the lodge, which has a melancholy Great Northern Hotel vibe, Tyler seemed to materialize in front of us, blocking our way. We were no longer allowed to film anything. When asked why, he said there were a lot of empaths there, and they said we had... (laughs) (laughs) He said there were a lot of empaths there, and they said we had a dark energy and were making people feel uncomfortable. This was news to us two mild-mannered, polite, and objectively light-energy Canadians. I countered that the Dutch TV crew was being just as invasive and still allowed to film and were more mainstream media than us. He said they had promised to give him final cut over the episode, which he'll likely find out was a bluff. (laughs) He then asked for one of my three identifications. Confused, I asked what he meant by that, and he insinuated that I wasn't who I said I was. My driver's license seemed to placate him, and he softened his stance. He didn't want to do this to us, but a couple people complained and he just wanted us out of his hair. He said we could still attend and hang out, but we couldn't film. Considering the level of dark energy and hostile vibes we were feeling, we got the fuck out of the conference. I had become fast friends with the middle-aged Trump merch guy whose name was Max. His stand included a giant plastic cutout of Donald Trump giving two thumbs up, which he attempted to sell me for $70, explaining that it was weather resistant. I thanked him for the offer, but said that the admittedly gorgeous object probably wouldn't fit in my suitcase. Soon I had picked out a nice Freedom Convoy t-shirt with a giant truck on it. I handed over $30 and draped the t-shirt over my arm ostentatiously. Now that Brad had brought down the heat, I was going to need all the help I could get to fit in. After taking my money and attempting to upsell me on a trucker convoy flag, Max solemnly handed me a piece of printer paper from a small stack on his table. It was a DIY flyer he had clearly typed up and printed at home. It recommended I watch QAnon movies like Out of Shadows and that I follow several Q influencers like Charlie Ward. Above all, the piece of paper instructed me to get on my knees and pray to God. I grinned and looked Max in the eye. Where we go one, we go all, I told him. WWG1WGA, he answered. I wandered over to a small check-in table where a young woman was sitting next to a piece of wood etched with the Secret Space Conference logo. I later found out that Tyler had etched it himself with one of those little burning pens. Aww. I explained to her that I had spoken with Tyler by email and he had approved a press pass for my wife and I. We were starting a YouTube channel. She signaled to Tyler, who came over to confirm my legitimacy. He had been chatting with a few conference goers about the Canadian film crew he had just asked to leave. Tyler proceeded to mimic a goblin-like Brad pushing his camera into the side of my face. They were disrupting the event, he explained. We got complaints from women. He was making them uncomfortable. 
I nodded gravely. Okay, I have to interject uh, because <laughs> I don't want people to get the wrong impression, but I, I had gotten too close to the back of one woman's head while trying to get an over-the-shoulder shot of her watching a speaker, and she didn't notice, but a lady behind her did, who later like ran up to Simon and I and accosted us fairly aggressively about why we were there. Uh, She didn't believe that Simon could have gotten out of Canada, considering it's now a totalitarian prison state under Trudeau's (laughs) martial law. (laughs) Oh my goodness. She was like, no, you didn't get out of Canada. No. (laughs) I really didn't like the way that they were filming the back of that woman's head. (laughs) That's awful. Uh, And what about these Dutch people? Are they cool? We both looked over what was clearly a professional TV documentary crew from the Netherlands interviewing one of the conference speakers on a maroon leather couch. Tyler explained to me that they were fine by him. Nobody had complained about them, unlike the Canadians. He kindly granted me a free press pass for the remainder of the conference. As a young woman tied a yellow armband around my wrist, I thanked Tyler effusively. He smiled and nodded at the trucker convoy t-shirt. It's cool. You're buying stuff. You should also get a conference t-shirt. I did exactly that draping it over my other arm. Tyler patted me on the back. I was in. Yeah, see, this is, that is the secret. The secret to these conferences that I've, that I've discovered in my, my short career uh, here is that if you spend, if you spend a good amount of money immediately at the booths, uh, (laughs) you're instantly, uh, the suspicion level uh, is lowered from orange to uh, green. Especially if you like walk into a conference where not everybody was a huge Trump kind of person, but you go straight for the Trump yeah. merch and you get a trucker convoy t-shirt. Yeah, trucker like, convoy stuff. Yeah. That just yells like you you scattered red pilled doofus, you're perfect. You can stay. Yeah, because Tyler's probably like, what what lib would, would go out of their way and put on, you know, if a liberal were to put on a trucker convoy t-shirt, I mean they would instantly <laughs> evaporate, you know? Yeah, it was slowly it was slowly eating through my arm like the uh, the goo and alien. <laughs> the last speaker of the day, a guy called Tony Rodriguez, who claims to have been an MK Ultra super soldier, hadn't yet started speaking. A group of people were milling around on the main terrace, which overlooked a stretch of grass, and just beyond it, the Missouri River. It was quite peaceful. The group was passing around a pipe and chatting about abduction experiences. I pulled out my special vape from California and passed it around. A guy in a classic alien hoodie introduced himself and gave me a big hug. I was probably catching COVID, but I didn't (laughs) care, because the combination of the vape and the edibles I had taken earlier were really kicking in. Soon I headed with the group into the conference room. Yeah, can I just say, I was horrified (laughs) when you came back and told me you had been sharing the vape around. You know, it's one thing that we're going unmasked to this pilled Mm -hmm. event, but I I think you went really (laughs) overboard with this one. It's not my fault. The Canadians set it up, so I had to basically sacrifice my life. we made him do it. Right, yeah, just... Just letting everyone suck on that vape. <laughs> Julian, Julian is the uh, is the QAA version of like the FBI dirty man. You know, like the guy that they send in, uh, you know, to do drug busts who yeah. has to like do all the drugs with the drug dealers and stuff. But in Julian's case, he has to. They yeah, exactly. send him into these events to catch COVID. <laughs> <laughs> the conference room had a couple hundred seats, and despite the ceiling being relatively high. It was filled with a jumble of weird electric candelabra emitting a dim light. It was a big room with lots of reverb, but it also felt small and suffocating. The weird smell of a heavily trodden conference room lingered in the humid air. Tyler took to the stage. 
He was there to introduce Tony Rodriguez, but not before thanking the AV guy and promoting one of the vendors who was clearly having trouble moving units. Uh, one quick announcement. So there's a vendor in the front, Sacred Smoke. Um, she made candles specific for the Secret Space Conference, um, and they're charged with Moldavite. And when you light the candle, it's supposed to capture the energy that is here. So when you bring it home and you, and you want to feel this energy again, you light the candle, and you can get back in that space. Fucking hell. <laughs> My boy Tyler, oh man, I miss him. He he was the guy, I don't know if, if the listeners remember, but at the Sedona conference, he was the one that I asked about my wife's like nightmares, and they told me that uh, it's possible that they could have been implanted memories. He was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, sweet guy. Tony Rodriguez, who looks like a Hispanic Judd Apatow with piercing blue eyes, then launched into what would be a two-hour-long speech accompanied by a slideshow on the projector. He was well known to the crowd as he had appeared on multiple Gaia TV shows where he claimed to have been a part of the secret space program. His new 350-page book, Series Colony Cavalier, details his harrowing story at the hands of the merciless cabal behind the secret space program. Tony's basic story is that he was abducted by reptilian beings as a 10-year-old, put through an MKUltra-style training program by the CIA, sent to Peru where he was forced to traffic cocaine, and then ended up in Seattle as a sex slave for the elite satanic cabal. They then sold him off to the secret space program, who sent him to be a super soldier on Mars. Finally, Tony was traded off to the Ceres Colony Corporation, where he spent a decade on German spaceships as a repairman and engineer. All of this was part of his 20 and back, which means after 20 years, he was returned to his 10-year-old body. They tried to wipe his mind, but the memories returned to him in adulthood. Instead of concisely retelling this story, Tony quickly asked the crowd how many of them had watched his interviews and read his book. Most in the audience responded affirmatively, so he just jumped straight into a jumble of details, starting with an emotional moment related to a parrot. (laughs) The other thing, uh, I guess, that is also from the deep end is, uh, I was hoping he'd be here. I asked him to come in here, but I know it's not um, entirely realistic, but did you guys see the macaw earlier? The scarlet-winged macaw? And I walked around with it, so does anybody know? Is the macaw in here? He's right there. (laughs) I turned to see a large, multicolored macaw near the back of the dimly lit conference room. This was starting to feel like a dream. Tony explained the significance of the bird by showing the audience an alternate cover for his book and a tattoo on his arm. Both macaws. (laughs) Beautiful birds. (laughs) When I saw the macaw, I really, um, you know, pardon my language, but it really fucked me up uh, (laughs) because of why it's... I've chosen the symbol. Why I've chosen the symbolism? Why I've tattooed it on my body? Wait, wait, wait! So somebody else, somebody independently of this man, had just brought a macaw to the conference? Yeah, and, yes. and yes. a little backstory: the the guy who brought the macaw, he he's been sort of traveling the country in his RV after leaving New Jersey because it's too corrupt there. He previously had a uh, he was a professional gambler, and he'd been banned from every <laughs> single casino, and he was currently suing Caesar's Palace and the Golden Nugget. And he told us we could Google that, which we did. And he, he indeed was suing Caesar's Palace for uh, wrongful imprisonment, which I think they just <laughs> sort of had him in like the lunchroom while the police came. <laughs> oh my God. Um, he also really, what he, why he left New Jersey was, I think he was, he had uh, like an illegal weapons charge and defended himself in court by bringing up some sort of like old British law or sovereign citizen law, which actually... The, the charges were dropped, but it wasn't because of that. It was some other technicality, but, but he knows it really was because he cited sovereign citizen law. 
Of course. Yeah. I hung out with him briefly with other people uh, in the conference room, and his macaw was shitting all over his hands <laughs> and trying to chew like the string from his hoodie. <laughs> it was quite a good scene. Well, and what you what you guys don't realize is that if you press uh, right in the center of the macaw's chest, it actually opens up, revealing a small alien pilot, uh, like the scene in Men in Black. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Tony explained that the presence of the parrot at the conference was profoundly meaningful. For you guys, it's just a cool bird that says hello. For me, it's like a message from God. <laughs> Damn, I mean, you could sum this up, sum this up, uh, this, these entire conference up with that one line. Yep. Tony then launched into his story, which was as long and convoluted as you might expect. He ranted about the CIA sending people to UFO conference panels to contradict them. He explained that he was tortured as a child in a special district in California, where he claimed it was legal to do so because it wasn't part of any jurisdiction. Soon Tony was talking about his time working in an underground German city on Mars. After about 35 minutes of this stuff, my eyes felt incredibly dry. I slowly worked my way out of the conference room and headed to the bar to order a Bloody Mary. Drink in hand, I walked into the now mostly empty lobby, where a middle-aged woman was sitting on one of the couches. I asked her if she had a lighter, which she didn't. I'd rolled a cigarette and had no way to smoke it. She waved to the big fireplace. You should use that. I leaned over the small barrier surrounding the fire and held the cigarette to the flames. On my way back into the lobby from the terrace after my smoke, another woman accosted me. She asked me if I had any memories of past lives. I told her that I had some faint ones, maybe revolutionary France? She explained that I had definitely experienced extraterrestrials. It was common to misinterpret our experience of their history as ours. I asked her if she was a speaker, and a wide grin spread on her face. No, I'm here to gather information and report back. I asked her to whom? You know. She pointed up at the sky. <laughs> we use the information to develop new programs. I nodded sagely. On my way back into the conference room, I spotted the macaw perched on Laura Eisenhower, a secret space program whistleblower who claims to be the great-granddaughter of President Dwight D. Eisenhower. They seem to be getting along. Sitting in the conference room, I sipped my drink while Tony explained a slide featuring an artist rendition of a cool space cavern with giant statues of horses. Uh, they abducted uh, sculptors, famous sculptors from Europe, and had them build these. So they were abducted and had their memories erased and got put back, probably without pay. <laughs> and they were being farmed out to other colonies after they were finished with these. The series colony Deutsch culture was big on horses. Their belief was that the 30-year uh, war in the 1600s, that they had defeated an extraterrestrial threat. And they said, we did it on horses. That was their motto. That was like their fighting motto. We did it with horses. We did it with horses, indeed. You know, that's one of the uh, unfortunate things about time travel and memory wipe is uh, often you will not get paid. Abductees should unionize. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> an hour in, Tony ran out of slides and started what would be an hour-long Q&A. Night had fallen over the lodge. I found myself hanging out with attendees on the terrace again. A sharply dressed older gentleman from Arkansas offered me homemade moonshine from glass jars in a cardboard box. It burned my throat and I started coughing and sputtering. 180 proof, he said proudly. Might want to be careful if you light a cigarette. I needed to get the fuck out of there. Thank God for Brad, who came to pick me up soon after I texted him. He drove me to a local bar where the gang had been eating Midwest tacos. A large basket of deep-fried pickle slices were sitting on the table next to deep-fried mac and cheese bites. That night, I slept horribly. 
The room was damp, and the fried pickles and mac and cheese bites were boring a hole through my stomach lining. I tossed and turned, sweating profusely. By 3 a.m., a sense of dread had set in. What the fuck was I doing out here? And why had I brought Mathilde? <laughs> why indeed? By 5 a.m., I was testing positive. <laughs> <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> After a series of nightmares, I woke to a dull sky filtering through the Venetian blinds. It was nearly midday. I felt like shit. Brad and Simon were leaving. No point hanging around if they couldn't attend the conference. They were going to head back to St. Louis and take it from there. Before they departed, we went out for a late breakfast. The idea was to grab a bite in Grafton, but the only restaurant we could find was also a bar with multiple slot machines. Hell yes. <laughs> and the waitress told us she didn't have coffee, but did have various liquors with coffee in them and boneless chicken wings. <laughs> we took the car instead and headed to the nearby town of Alton for a breakfast burrito. The day was already a disaster. I'd missed the first scheduled speaker, and now Mathilde was going to have to drive with the boys to St. Louis to rent us a car. In the meantime, I had to record an episode of Trickle Down back at the rental place. I set up my mic and equipment in the room with the most soft surfaces and curtains. Good sound absorption for the recording. As soon as Travis launched into the script, the floor beneath me started vibrating. <laughs> I could hear a loud hum in my headphones, too. I started wandering around the house, furiously flipping as many switches as I could find, but none of them made the infernal buzzing cease. It must have been some kind of central heating system. I was going to have to disassemble all my equipment and switch rooms. <laughs> Having worked up a sweat, I opened a window for some fresh air. As I did so, it dislodged the air conditioning unit, which <laughs> fell out onto the street with a loud crash. I stood there for a second in disbelief, staring at the now heavily dented unit sitting there on the asphalt. Then I walked outside and pushed it back onto the windowsill, a mysterious liquid trickling out onto my pants and shirt. <laughs> What a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, this is like so, this is like something from like uh, you know, like a, a 2010s like Will Ferrell movie where he like opens the window and the, the entire conditioning unit just like falls out and like, you know, crushes a pedestrian beneath him and he's like, sorry. <laughs> that night, Mathilde and I ate the healthiest microwave dinner we could find at the local grocery store. I had a headache and felt nauseous. The whole thing was a failure. I had missed all of today's talks. We considered giving up on the whole thing, but then I remembered that there was a special act that night at the conference. A musical performance by Lala Deaton, a singer-songwriter who went viral with her song, Where We Go One, We Go All. We had to at least attend that. And so Mathilde and I found ourselves walking back into the conference room at around 9 p.m. Tyler was on stage noodling on a guitar. The Dutch crew were there capturing it as people milled around waiting for Lala to take the stage. And that's when I spotted him. Q influencer Patel Patriot walked past me to his seat in the front row. Now, if you're a listener of this show, you may remember Patel Patriot from our episode on devolution theory, a QAnon belief that through decentralization of power, Trump is actually still running the United States. He has since done repeat shows with Jordan Sather. But what the fuck was he doing here? Then I noticed who was sitting next to him, Kate Awakening. Wait, had she left Tyler for another Q influencer? Or were they just friends? My head was spinning, but I didn't have time to think too much about it because Lala Deaton was starting her set. How are y'all liking it out here? Isn't it beautiful? I love it. My bed's comfy. I haven't big pottied yet though. 
Wait, been wait. Three whole days. She hasn't pooped for three days. No, 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 no. She said, she said I haven't big bodied. <laughs> what are you, like three years old? Like, <laughs> like, well, it'd be like, do you have to go small potty, Lala, or do you have to go big potty? And she's like, I have to go big potty. <laughs> the people at the conference had been eating three meals a day from a buffet served by the Lodge's restaurant. There was probably a lot of shit backed up in that room. Lala soon launched into her hit QAnon song, which she sang over a backing track and a projection of the music video. This meant that there were often two Lala's singing, one on the screen, and then the real Lala standing in front of it. But before she played the song, she gave the audience some background on why she created it. So this song I'm going to do is called Where We Go When We Go All. I wrote this during lockdown um, in 2020, um, right in the middle of, of the, the pandemic lockdown. I don't know how many of you were uh, what, following along with the Q movement. So this song, this song was, I wasn't like super active on Twitter. I was just kind of like following along and watching everyone. And I was following Q and all of that. Um, but I, I released this song um, on all the social media platforms. Facebook, it went viral. 2.5 million views in like a matter of months. And they were totally squashing it on there. And even with that, it went viral. And it's not because of the song, it's because of the content. Like, people just were hungry. That's what got me kicked off Twitter um, the, day, uh, the day that all of us got kicked off. Like, either it was the day after Trump got kicked off. And then my friends, like, that thought I, that thought I wrote the theme song for a terrorist organization <laughs> started blocking me and unfriending me. And <laughs> it was all because of this song. So, yay, here we go. It's called Where We Go When We Go All. Oh, cute people. It's just the same story over and over. I went viral. My family and friends don't talk to me anymore. You're my family now. It's really interesting, though, to go to something like this that, you know, to people like us, it's like, oh, this is ex explicitly, like, you know, Q-themed. But then, you know, she'll get on stage and be like, I don't know how, how many of you were, were following the Q movement. Like, they're, they're kind of unsure. Like, are you just alien-pilled or, like, were you also into Q? Like, just vibe check. Even though yeah. her viral song, Where We Go One, We Go All, and she was selected to speak at the conference. I mean, you would assume mm -hmm. that you're being asked to sing at this conference because it is explicitly a uh, cue themed i won't play the whole song but here's lala finishing it up in the video there's a collage of different people holding where we go one we go all signs including the kate awakening Liberty cries, now is the time the great awakening then our song it's up to me and you it's up to me Dark 
Nossie Kate. <laughs> <laughs> and look, she's here. You know, pretty impressive that she was able to keep it mostly on tune without any inner ear monitors and probably with that microphone setup and auditorium. You couldn't hear yourself at all. Gotta say, kind of impressed. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought the, the concert was pretty fun considering the situation. I'm not gonna lie. I sang along a little bit. Just, you know, I was undercover, so I had to, <laughs> I had to play, play the part. But then she started droning on about her dating life. And I slowly felt my soul leave my body as I realized she could keep going all night like this. So Julian and I decided to discreetly exit the room. Kate had been drunkenly heckling her friend for the whole set. I would have to look into this Patel Patriot thing, but Mathilde and I were exhausted. We headed back to the rental place for another night of terrible sleep. The next day would surely pay off. Kate Awakening was speaking alongside Jermaine Chavis, known as a bit of a bad boy in the secret space program community. <laughs> he had been promising on his Telegram channel that his talk would be, quote, highly controversial. Before I fell asleep, I received a text message from Brad. Our St. Louis Airbnb hadn't been cleaned and had cum stains and urine on all the disheveled bedsheets and blood in the toilets. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my For god. Real? It did, yeah. Well, one of the one I of the thought, toilets. I thought you were joking. No, no. One of the toilets had had blood in it. Um, oh, my oh my god! <laughs> and the stains were either urine or cum. It was hard to tell. Yeah, it was either somebody had been had been fucked and murdered, or uh, I don't know what else. I don't know what else. Someone had pissed on someone who had then murdered them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there was yeah water sports, probably some cum shots. I mean, you know, they call it the St. Louis special. <laughs> that night, Mathilde was paranoid as hell. Yeah, um, here are the notes I took uh, the next morning on my phone. Felt unsafe last night. Kept asking Julian if the doors were locked and analyzing any weird sound in the house. Apparently, I also woke up several times half asleep during the night asking, what was that noise? And feeling in danger. Maybe psychic attacks from the Draco? When the alarm went off on the morning of the last day of the conference, Mathilde and I failed to emerge from our torpor and ended up arriving late once again, about halfway through Jermaine's speech, after which Kate would be taken to the stage. At least I'd catch a bit of his presentation, but the bad boy energy was nowhere to be found. Instead, Jermaine was mumbling his way through an endless series of slides with tiny text on them. I'm not exaggerating when I say it was difficult to understand him at all. Multiple attendees were falling asleep in their chairs. Here he is doing starseed race theory. Okay, these are the, the five cluster races, which is the lineage for the starseeds. Now, er, are trillions, brown skin, DNA strand number two, which is also chakra number two and density number two. Now, I don't know what the brown skins is, so I just said a rabbit. <laughs> Something called the Brenua red skin. I think that's connected to Native Americans. <laughs> I mean, I got Cherokee in me. So that's strand number three, which is third density. Um, the Hibaru white skin, I think it is European Caucasian. Fourth strand, which is the Astrorealm. Makizadets, yellow skin, I think that's the Asians. And that's <laughs> DNA strand number five, which means you get to see the probability timelines or you can create your own synchronicities around you to affect the timeline, to cr um, create your own synchronicities to create, which is um, good luck, that's what it be. And the Unicetti, which is the black skin for black people, DNA strand number six, which is the third eye activated or your DNA already activated, which might explain, as I'm gonna read earlier, why we don't see no black people in the um, 
the dart fleet because if they third eye open, they like, you know, Yoda. <laughs> I have to say, it was refreshing to hear black supremacy narratives in these kinds of speeches, as opposed to the very cliche references to Germanic space lineages. But after dozens of slides filled with text that the audience couldn't read and titled things like Indigo Children DNA and The Advantages Starseeds Offer Solar Warden If They Aren't Tortured or Traumatized, <laughs> I started to get exhausted. Here are the notes I took during this presentation. I think he just made a joke about indigos and eating ass, but I don't get it. <laughs> None of what he's saying makes any sense. It's word salad. And later I wrote... A blonde lady across the aisle just looked furiously at Julian when he crinkled the sardine wrapper he used to transport his edibles, <laughs> as if he's interrupting a coherent and fascinating speech. I took an edible. If the next presentation is anything like this one, I'm really going to need it. Finally, after what felt like four hours, what was in fact just one, Jermaine finished with a wall of text on a slide titled, The Universal Temporal War Conclusion. And to add, the COVID-19 VATS black goo, which is the graphene oxide metatronic code receiving antenna, which Commander Valthor warned by my great friend Elena Danon in 2020, was designed to trap, your, trap you in third density, was a, also another strategy of the fallen groups <clears throat> and AI archons to create the Stargate code access override. If they achieve this, Starcase, Star, um, Starseeds can no longer access the Stargate and portals, and since their genes of their universal family lineage are key to the morphogenic fields and planetary grids of the Earth, the Earth won't be able to send or ship the 5D terror. Flower life bivet the pattern that is causing this reverse DNA 10 tree of life fallen ET code access override to allow access to the black sun seraphim and the Anunnaki. So they will only be able to use these Stargate. And since they're they based in another universe, that means when that ascension wave come, we're going to the west of that. If, 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 if that's not repaired. But Laura said um, in her lecture that it's been repaired, so I think I wasted my time. <laughs> but I'm done. Y'all can come to the uh, Telegram group and we'll go on this further. <laughs> I, wish, I, I wish people had the visual. Yeah, of, the, of slide. the slide. It is slide. so full. I saw multiple people in the audience with their phone cameras zooming in to try mm -hmm. to be able to read the slides. Mm -hmm. It's basically like a full pamphlet, just blocks and blocks of text that are too small to read. Yep. I went outside to get some air, but started worrying that I'd missed the beginning of Kate Awakening's speech. So I headed back inside and sat cross-legged to the side of the stage with my GoPro on a stick. And who was sitting just a few feet away from me but Patel Patriot? Are you Patel Patriot? I ventured. Yeah. He seemed genuinely surprised. Oh, uh, I'm a big fan of your videos, man. Uh, the stuff you do with Jordan. Thank you. I knew this was my chance to ask him a couple of questions. So, are you into this secret space program stuff? Just starting to get into it through Kate. Kate Awakening? Yeah. Is she your girlfriend? He stumbled over his words for a moment before sheepishly admitting that yes, the two had been seeing each other. Thus, I became a tabloid journalist for QAnon influencers. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Now, I hear that Jake, after learning this, has already picked a side. He's gotten T-shirts printed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pissed, man. I think Patel Patriot sucks. He's he's a flash in the pan, you know, with his devolution. There will be a new Trump theory, you know, w- within a couple months, and devolution will be nothing more than a distant memory. But Tyler, man, at the last conference, he was he was chaperoning your kid. He was really good with your kid, and he was sweet. He was sweet to me about dealing with my girlfriend's nightmares. Like, what? Do, what are you doing, Kate? Like, it's so funny. It's like, oh, oh, well, Patel Patriot. Like, he's got the hot new theory. It's like, oh, this guy's got more Instagram followers than, like, my old boyfriend. He's getting, like, better. He's not just guest starring anymore. He's got a recurring. So, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, switch up a little bit, get get myself an upgrade. We're clearly going to have to euthanize Jake. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. He's been doing this for too long. I he's heard about this and I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, man, really? I was like, for Patel Patriot? Oh, dude, I was like. Tyler was a solid guy. Like, they seem good together. Like, well, what's going on? Sure. This is like, this is my Kardashians. Like, uh, you know, uh, all, all, all the time my wife will be like, oh, well, and so-and-so was, you know, was dating with this, car- with the Kardashian, but they, you know, he cheated on her and stuff. I'm like, oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. But this, I'm like, oh, man, I'm like really, I'm emotionally involved. <laughs> Please do not follow Jake in this path, uh, anyone who listens to this. No, but I'm glad we got to talk about it because- a couple people, <laughs> mm-hmm. couple people on Twitter asked who broke up, and uh, I was coy. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to air out anybody's public laundry. Uh, but okay. Tyler, uh, if you somehow stumble oh, upon this podcast, oh, no. I, I want you to oh, know God. hashtag Team Tyler, Team Tyler Jesus all the way. Christ, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What if nobody else on this show is going to pick sides? I'll do it. I can't believe we're over Zoom. I would have already like used a cattle prod on you. <laughs> can't. But if Tyler was bothered by Kate's relationship, he was certainly not showing it. After introducing her, she explained that Tyler had actually been the inspiration for the topic of her speech. Oh, that's cold. That's cold. <laughs> maybe they're good friends. Yeah, maybe. maybe friends. Yeah, maybe yeah, it was right. an amicable thing. Maybe maybe it was mutual. I don't know. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't assume. Maybe he broke up with her. Maybe he broke up know. with her. Although I can't imagine why he would. She's pretty attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. You are injecting all of this extra narrative and drama into the situation that isn't inherently there. (laughs) Listen, we're all journalists, but, you know, Jake is a type of journalist that, you know, writes for the National Enquirer. Yeah, yeah. What do you expect? What do you expect from me? I mean, this is, you know, don't don't pretend you don't love it. (laughs) He's yelling at Travis now. You love it, Travis. You love it. Hi guys, thank you. So Tyler was telling me that a bunch of people were coming up to him asking, uh, you know, questions more about the hypnosis because a lot of people have been touching on it. Um, So I am gonna go into talking about the process of hypnosis, how it works, how we uncover memories, et cetera. Um, I'm gonna go into a QHHT session that I had on myself that brought up SSP, uh, an SSP, experience and then um, I actually if it's cool with you guys want to do a group hypnosis on everybody I was curious about the SSP or secret space program experience Kate claimed to have had for years now she had been a QAnon influencer even attending January 6th now she seemed involved in these red-pilled UFO events she eventually explained that her experience came to her during a hypnosis session performed by her friend Allison who practiced quantum healing hypnosis technique or QHHT I just want to go into my session with the with the QHHT really fast, just because we're at the Secret Space Conference, and uh, I did have these memories come through. And what it was was it was a guy, 
and he was working on some space station. He was really kind of apathetic. And what, what, what I was seeing was that he was in the foster system here on Earth when he was a child, and he was taken at some point when he was a child up to do this. And so Allison was asking me questions. You know, Allison knows that I'm like very much into Q, and I'm very much into what is going on in our, um, you know, on our planet right now. What's going on in the news? And so she's asking me, like, when when are things going to happen? You know, what what is what does this war look like? And what's your opinion of the war? And it's good versus evil? And what are you seeing? And what's it look like up there? And what I could feel from him was he was kind of like, I don't really care. Like, I don't really have an allegiance to Earth people. I'm not looking at it as good and bad. I'm looking at two parties that are just kind of fighting that both have claim over this planet because they've both been there for a very long time. And I wasn't really looking at it as good as evil. It's kind of like they can all kind of, they can all kind of eat themselves. I don't really care. I don't have an allegiance, which is so different from me, right? This, is, this was a perspective that I needed to see. I wasn't going to get that perspective from myself. Um, because I am very justice-oriented, and I am very clear that right now what we're seeing is good versus evil, and I think it is evil, and I do think there's one side that deserves to win. But that was not this guy's um, opinion. Wait a minute. So <laughs> she's talking about meeting like a like a hunky kind of like cool. No, you know, no, no. She she's talking about basically inhabiting that, like channeling it. Basically, it's a bit of a different take than like I was an actual space soldier. I did the twenty and back. It's in my hypnosis session. I channeled this probable past life where I was a, a, you know, a secret space program person. Mm. Kate went on to claim that there was also a mantis being present at the space station and that she saw dimensional portals being used by a reptilian horde. And he was working on stuff and, and actually the only other person that was there with me, him, whatever, was a mantid, mantis being. And so Allison was having me go up and ask this mantis being what was going on, you know, what were we doing, whatever. So I did, and I was like, okay, um, what, what are we doing here? And the mantis being says, waiting. And I, so I said that to her, and she's like, okay, we'll ask him what we're waiting for. So I did, and he's like, our orders. And it started to become very clear that this was a very logical being. This, this being was not going to take inferences from me. It was not going to chit-chat. It was whatever I asked. It was just going to give me that direct. So I didn't really get much, but what I found was that we were there to monitor something. And what I saw was that some portal had opened up and there were reptilians pouring in through this portal. And we weren't there to do anything about it. We were just there to monitor it and just watch these beings just literally pouring in. And when I think of a portal myself, I have, a, I have my own kind of visual representation of what I think it would look like. But this was very different. It was actually a spiral going like this. And um, these beings were kind of just like pouring in. And I guess it was some kind of natural portal that had opened up. And they were just taking advantage of that. And they were just coming here like that. Kate capped all of this off by explaining what her alien past self had to say about the storm in the QAnon sense. The other thing, which was kind of interesting, is she asked, okay, well, how are we going to know that this is happening? That, you know, that, like, we're waiting, waiting, waiting for, like, the big thing to happen. We're all expecting some big things to start happening on our planet. What's going to be our symbol, our sign that things are going to happen? And he said, watch Russia. As soon as things pop off in Russia. And that actually just, I, that just came to me, like, a couple weeks ago. I remembered that. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I emailed Allison because she had sent me the tape of my thing, and the end of it got cut off. And I was like, do you remember that I said, watch Russia? 
and that that was going to be our indicator that things were going to actually start happening. She's like, oh my gosh. So I didn't bring the recording with me, but. Um, <laughs> oh, and then in part of it also, I had, I was given the choice. Okay, well, you're done. You're retired. You can go back to earth or whatever. And I had no desire to come back to earth. I was like, I just want a garden. So they set me up with a garden, I believe on Mars. And I had like this greenhouse on Mars. What, were you um, trying to get potatoes to grow? And were you Matt Damon? <laughs> Eventually, she began the group hypnosis session. She stuck to a more traditional method for it, eschewing quantum healing. I'm going to count backwards from 10 to 0. With every number I count, you'll get more and more relaxed, and your subconscious will move to the foreground. Until at 0, your conscious mind will be in a deep sleep, and you will be in a state of hypnosis. 10, starting to go down now. 9, feeling deeper and deeper. 8... Seven, six, five, deeper and deeper, four, three, deeper, two, one, zero, deep sleep. Each and every time I say deep sleep to you with the purpose of hypnosis and snap my fingers, you will sleep to this depth or deeper and your subconscious mind will be tuned into my voice and you will be physically relaxed. At one point in the exercise, Kate explained that she was going to have us experience more challenging things, but only for a brief period of time in this safe environment. She asked that everybody visualize a chaotic, stressful scene. She then instructed us to let our anxiety rise until we felt overwhelmed. Then she told us to visualize a television. Now the stressful scene was caught in that television, and we could use the knobs on the device to turn down our fear and anxiety. We were all going to sleep really well tonight, she explained. After some minutes, Kate woke us all up from our hypnotic slumber. She told everybody that they could use these techniques to reduce stress in their everyday lives. I have to admit, after hearing about all the wacky alien stuff, the hypnosis session felt a little vanilla for my taste. Yeah, I have to say the collective hypnosis session was pretty weak shit. She used basic tricks I've seen a million times in meditation YouTube videos, like picturing roots coming out of your feet which I have nothing against. Um, I, I was trying to relax into it. I'm normally receptive to this kind of thing. But as she instructed the crowd to breathe in and out very deeply, I kept thinking about all the COVID particles <laughs> being exhaled into the room and started holding my breath, which was an obstacle to relaxation and blocked me from accessing my higher self. Like, for real, I... I was hearing people breathe so deeply, like she was like, yeah, empty your lungs completely. And I was like, holy shit, I do not want the content of those lungs floating around me. And well, there was, sadly, there was also this older, much older woman who had like, was on a full oxygen tank and had mm -hmm. the nose feeders oh. in and she was oh, sitting around God. with everybody there. Yeah, I watched a woman do a healing thing on her, which is like, yeah, there were a few mentions, including Lala uh, briefly mentioned that they found a, a brain tumor in her in her brain and that uh, she was going she told the doctors, like, I'm going to shrink it with the techniques of this guy, Joe Dispenza, who's a absolute grifter, like quantum healing guy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the, she said that the doctors told her uh, that's not how that works. And then she never mentioned it again. And I was like, um, do you, you know, did it work? Do you still have do you still have a tumor? Like, are you still quantum healing it away? I mean, it sounded terrible. And there were multiple moments like that in the conference where you realize that people were using some of these techniques or beliefs like on profound medical issues that they had. 
I headed out to get some air again and chatted with Mathilde about the conference. Then I checked the time. 12.53. Oh, shit. I had a private half-hour session booked with professional alien channeler Ivan Teller in just a few minutes. Brad had reserved it, but um, I don't think he was going to attend. <laughs> As I approached the Père Marquette winery, which was just like this room in the lodge, I spotted Ivan. He was smiling awkwardly, noticing my camera. We asked him if Mathilde could also film him. He acquiesced and invited me in. I took a seat beneath a replica stained glass window representing a goose. An audible hum, presumably from the wine fridges, made the room feel slightly off. It was like being in an Irish pub in the daytime. There, there was something obscene about it. I sat down and we got started. After some gesticulations, Ivan had to get in contact with the aliens, we settled on Zeta Reticuli as my origin planet. The Zeta system is 39 light years from our own and comprised of two yellow dwarf stars. It is thought to be the origin of the classic gray aliens, a theory popularized by the famous abduction case of Betty and Barney Hill. The UFO and its inhabitants that crashed into Roswell are from this star system, according to Area 51 whistleblower Bob Lazar. They are made up of several subspecies, including the Tall Whites, a.k.a. Julian, the aquatic, <laughs> the aquatic Zuba Zetas, the Kebans and the Evans, or Cabans and the Abans. These Zetas allegedly operate at one of the most famous dumb sites, Dulce Base in New Mexico. Oh yeah, Dulce, very famous, very famous. I asked the Zeta Council about meeting my wife, Mathilde. Oh, God. <laughs> there a reason that I met my wife um, was, was French. Why, why did I end up meeting her? Well, she's like a twin. Okay. Twins to each other. Yeah. So like, you couldn't do this mission without her, you could say. Mm -hmm. So she signed up also. Mm -hmm. so she's more like the part of the Palladium Council. Mm -hmm. Of course, she has Zeta connections too, but um, you probably see some of those features in yourselves, mm -hmm. a little bit of it. Uh, but 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 she's more of the Pleiadian, you're more of the Zeta energy. But you know, you go back and forth with that. You also have some feline frequencies too. Oh, how do bring it through also? And, but so when I, you know, I was using a, a dating app and I swiped right on my wife's photos. Was that like there's something deeper to that? Yeah, that was meant to be. Yeah. Mm. But notice how you're using technologies to meet each other. Where that doesn't always for that to work doesn't usually work, as you know. There's usually more false positives than positive. Mm -hmm. So that was meant to happen. Mm -hmm. It could have happened in other ways, but that was a way for it to... It just shows you how meant to be you are. Mm -hmm. get that way. So true. <laughs> yep. Wow. It's two little alien, two little alien friends coming together, <laughs> finding love. So wait, so did aliens like like rig the Tinder algorithm to ensure that this meeting mm -hmm. took place? That's right. Mm -hmm. Maybe even controlled our fingers when we were swiping. Mm. Right. Yeah, probably more likely. In my past life, my finger was a Zeta finger. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Ivan to give me some tangible information, like lost memories I might not happen to remember. He started leading me through my history, including an abduction experience at age six. When I didn't respond enthusiastically enough to that, he moved on to high school, where he correctly ascertained that I went to raves. <laughs> Around school, uh, high school, it seems like there's some abduction energy, lost mm -hmm. time in some form. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I had lost time, uh, you know, a lot in when I would go to a club or listen to music, you know, um, you know, I would lose yeah, time sometimes, like I'd take yeah. a pill or whatever and just disappear. Yeah. Yeah, just <laughs> kind of dance and disappear and Yeah. Mm. So you were actually well, your body was there but you went somewhere else. So and then, you know time also freezes a lot where you can just Part of it was you left your body, it's like, I don't know if they can do this anymore. 
positive things a lot about that. So, mm-hmm. Matilda, I love how you're framing like the the stained glass goose just like flying <laughs> over to. Julian's head as he. I had to because I wanted to dedicate it to the goose cult. Mm. <laughs> love you guys. I really like the the filming style. It's very like ethereal and and weird and and <laughs> Ivan is is kind of moving in an interesting way like he's you know yeah. like it seems like he's holding the hands of a couple aliens that are standing next to him uh telling mm-hmm. telling him uh about the time uh Julian uh you know took ecstasy and, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know ended up throwing up uh in a bush <laughs> But I have to say, he, he kept just repeating what Julian fed him. Mm. I was trying my best to be honest with Ivan, so I shared my real childhood experience of getting hit in the forehead with a baseball bat. To be clear, it was an accident. When I was um, like 12 or 13, I was playing baseball with some friends and I got hit in the head with the bat accidentally. And um, I don't know, like it felt like something you know changed, like there was you know blood coming out and... Um, yeah, you got opened up. Your yeah. Your chakra, your your third eye, your crown chakra opened up. That was not on purpose. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was very painful, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it just it just had to break it open. Mm-hmm. I was broken open. My third eye was opened by a baseball bat, which that's the kind of ascension and uh, awakening that they don't talk enough about, where you just get a traumatic head injury <laughs> and your third eye suddenly opens. That's interesting because I hit my brother in the head with a baseball bat on purpose <laughs> um and he just what? went crying to our mom so I, okay. it's weird i, I don't really think his third eye opened or anything bat? like maybe because it was a wiffle ball bat it was plastic That's, you know it wasn't it wasn't a wooden you know i'm not i I'm had not, that one I'm not a crazy person you know yeah i don't think that really counts as a baseball bat man that's like a little toy a wiffle bat it's not the same why did you hit him you know, I think I was throwing the baseball bat like a tomahawk towards him, thinking that he would <laughs> dodge out of the way or that he would right. catch it. I, mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of wanted to see what happened. And him just being the great sport that he is just kind of stood there and it hit him square in the face. Mm. <sighs> Sorry about that, man. <laughs> wow. Finally, I asked Teller to explain why the fuck we started this stupid podcast in 2018. And in, in, two, in 2017, 2018, I... I feel like some of these, you know, the reptilian uh, and the, the Draco that you were mentioning, they, they, I started reading about this in QAnon and, and I was just, really, I related to it so much. I mean, is, the, is that some a connection I should keep examining? Yeah. Is there something there? Yeah, just follow the vibrations you're feeling from them. Yeah, they are concealing a lot, a lot of this connected to the government on a ground basis. So just basically feel it through your intuition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Palladians have you say it beamed you up many times when you're younger to remove implants, but of course, when they did that, other beings are just you're insectoid beings mm. programmed you around the side of your head. So, yeah, they're just obviously growing up wasn't easy. So, yeah, you have this podcast because uh, an insectoid uh, implanted something into my head. But there's something oh. interesting that he said there is, is you know, he went, you know, growing up isn't easy, which is, mm-hmm. you know, something that I think a lot of people can relate to. And yeah. as, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, a lot of the speakers at these conferences, you know, talk about past trauma or, you know, troubled childhoods, um, you know, feeling like an outcast or, or you know, something worse, you know, um, suffering abuse or something like that. And so it's interesting to me that this teller kind of works just that, that that kind of emotional truth in with all of this other kind of mumbo jumbo you have mm-hmm. you know growing up isn't easy you know being a kid isn't easy 
And then you also have like, and, and but there's, you know, it's because you have these insectoid implants on the side of your brain. And so it pairs mm -hmm. the very real and very relatable with this, you know, kind of esoteric sort of mumbo jumbo. Before we left, I was forced to confront a very dark reality that my French wife had learned too much about American culture. In an effort to fit in, she had taken their relentless positivity to its grim and logical conclusion. Oh, come on, don't play that. <laughs> that was incredible. Wow. Great energy in this room. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Great energy in this room. So wow. I was really trying to, to fit in and yeah. It's good. You're yeah, no, Just you're Just wanted to be nice. You're you're you doing know? great. It was perfect. <laughs> it's better than what I would have done. I would have been like, oh, that was so incredible. I feel like I got a reading just videotape. And I, I actually remember being on a galactic uh, aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. Too far, uh, too far. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone way too far. We regrouped in the lobby. People were lining up at the buffet to fill hard shell tacos with what looked like oily dog shit. <laughs> a few of them eyed my GoPro suspiciously. Although we had barely attended any of the speeches, Mathilde and I were very tired. We had an hour to wait before a talk by multidimensional energy intuitive seer and channeler Rebecca Rose, a white woman who claims to have been a Native American in her past life. She was at the conference to address being a survivor of the Montauk program, the secret space program, and the galactic slave trade. Her speech was going to last two hours, after which there would be a two and a half hour break before the final event of the day, a whistleblower panel. What's more, a woman named Jen had posted a worrying message to the conference telegram channel. There is a large portal that opened today that is impacting many dynamics. People are sharing symptoms of allergies, sinuses, fogginess, and head surges. Did some patching and tear repairs before leaving a little bit ago with the help of the Deems device. Very hard to disconnect from this new family. This gathering slash conference is a catalyst. Sounds a lot like COVID symptoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, no, Julian, she she followed up and said that that it's actually there was too much movement in the ionosphere. That's what was causing all this. Okay, okay, okay sure. I feel better. Yeah, that's we had to move our ionospheres <laughs> off the <laughs> property and out of that city, and hopefully, eventually, this country. <laughs> in the lodge parking lot, we were greeted by an older gentleman wearing a yellow vest that read. FAA licensed commercial drone pilot, do not disturb. He had installed four little orange cones near the tailgate of his truck and was preparing to land a fancy looking orange drone. I was instructed to stand seven feet away from the landing zone, minimum, which I swiftly respected. The man tilted his tablet towards me and grinned. It displayed the parking lot from above in infrared. It looked straight out of the Predator. It was so cool. Cool. So I asked him about it. I've been doing, this is infrared here. Why is it so. infrared? We're looking for, uh, you know, Bigfoot, right? Yeah. And we want to see if he's out there in the woods. So he's going to produce heat, and it's going to be kind of white, light color in the, the recording. How long? We see have, you, have you found anything with it yet? No. People. <laughs> what, are, what are people doing out in the woods? Yelling. You hear him up over that way? I loved this guy. He, on the first yeah. day of the conference, he was wearing a t-shirt with a UFO on it that said, my other ride. Nice. <laughs> cool. Well, it's cool. Such an older guy can, can navigate a drone so effectively. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, this guy also, yeah, he was very vocal during the speeches. And I remember him at the end of Kate's hypnosis session, like telling her, oh, yeah, this was good. This was legit because when I was in the army, I got hypnotized the same way. And mm -hmm. that's how he got like some memories. And I think he was also the guy who was um, making some comments during Lala's concert. Yes, he was horny for her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, sweetheart, you know, this kind of stuff. Like, sweetheart, if you're, if you're looking this good, then I got uh, four tomatoes for a chicken, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, kind of stuff, but like very loudly, very funny guy. Uh, he also said he was a Vietnam vet, which that seems more realistic than the other stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, really nice guy, actually. So I asked him where he'd learned to operate drones. How did you learn all this? Uh, I studied and I applied for my FAA commercial pilot's license for it. And that cost me a couple bills. Mm -hmm. And then you gotta <laughs> renew that every two years. But you learn to read maps and you learn about weather and you learn how high you can go when you got a specific ceiling, how low you're supposed to be below the clouds. I was curious what had brought this sweet man to the secret space conference. So what brought you to the secret space program? I am getting memories that don't coincide with life on this earth or life on this earth before I was born. Okay, so I might be a, a UFO pilot that crash landed here. And then I had to find parents who were compatible with my genetics from a different planetary system. Hmm? They say it's Palladian, possibly. But, uh, so I was the second child. I don't know about my sister, she was the first one. And we always tease her about the moles that she's got on her shoulder. It looks like the Palladian constellation, yeah. And she was able to translate my baby gibberish to my mother. Like she was three and I was, you know, a year and a half old. What's he saying? Change his diaper, he's full of shit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he he thinks he was um, one of the ETs that crashed at Roswell. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we left after talking to him. Um, we had only been in Grafton for three days total and it felt like two weeks. So we decided to ditch the conference after the channeling session and we headed to Grafton to walk around and capture some footage. And this was the first time in several days that I was feeling some semblance of joie de vivre. <laughs> the area was home to a bunch of herons, geese and other cute birds living their peaceful lives in the wetlands by the river. A blessed life which did not involve alien abductions, police flags, COVID clusters, or fried pickles. <laughs> As I spotted a group of baby geese following their mom into the water, I could feel my soul starting to heal. It was ironic that the conference attendees had paid hundreds of dollars to experience some form of collective healing when they could have just looked outside and taken the bird pill for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming with me to this, I have to say, and replacing Jake at the last minute. You were uh, gr you were great. Probably a better wingman. It was a terrible mistake for you to come. <laughs> it it was, was probably a terrible mistake for any of us to end up there, but hopefully this 
This a- episode I'm, has. I'm glad I could support you because. Thank you. You were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hell for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, I remember calling you while you were like in the middle of this one evening and um, just, just to check on how you're doing and what, how you react is you just started laughing a lot and you just repeated <laughs> over and over again. It's so cursed. It's so bad. It's so cursed. I think I said, Travis, never go to Grafton, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you said that as well. Mm-hmm. You, you blame the, the town, never. the region. <laughs> yeah, he looked, he looked destroyed by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I still don't feel good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month to get a whole second episode every week, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. People who subscribe to our Patreon also get access to a new series that uh, I've been I've been doing called Trickle Down, which is all about misinformation and bad ideas that come from high authority sources. We did the, the first two episodes were about the, the Kalakak story. I think it was really fascinating, sort of this uh, eugenics sort of scientific experiment that fell apart in the decades. Um, and also, in the, a couple days after this episode's released, we're going to release the third uh, and final episode on the White Slavery Panic, which is an early 20th century. Um, um, sort of basically moral panic revolving around immigration and prostitution that has a lot of parallels today and a lot of fears about, um, you know, human trafficking and stuff. So I, I think it's really fascinating stuff, the way that humanity never learns its lessons and just does the same shit over and over again in every generation. And uh, yeah, so yeah, check that out. Yeah, it's uh, coming out this Friday and it'll make five episodes. So a two-parter and a three-parter. So if you're looking for some more long-form stuff, um, yeah, go check it out. It's on our uh, premium feed. And we're still looking for leads for our documentary featuring intimate portraits of conspiracy theorists. So if you know a family member, a loved one, close friend, or even yourself that's fallen down the rabbit hole, please reach out. We're also looking for lesser-known theorists and theories. You can email us at truthfilm at protonmail.com or DM me on Instagram at bradwtf or Twitter at Saucers. Go check it out, folks, and definitely go check out Brad's movies as well, including the very good Love and Saucers. When you subscribe, you help us stay advertising-free and editorially independent, so thanks so much for that. For everything else, we have a website, qanonanonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. I know these words up here may look like this is like sci-fi and super fancy, the words ultra, um, but it's nothing, nothing wonderful about any of this. But um, ultra is a type of super soldier. We're going to go into that. Milabs stand for military abductions. That's technically what we knew this program to be called when I first started doing this. Um, a milab technically would be back in the day when, when I began the, this type of research, was a military abduction that would abduct a contactee that was being abducted by aliens, and the uh, military would abduct them to extract information what was going on with the aliens. But um, since then, we've learned that it also encompasses a whole other aspect of this whole program where they're actually humans um, taking people into outer space, and there's a whole pro- like run um, breakaway civilizations that need a lot of personnel. So if you want to learn more about the different uh, um, military contractors out there and programs, I recommend you watch SSP 101. 
And because, as um, Tyler was saying earlier, I have been censored on YouTube, I was probably only a few hours away of losing my YouTube channel, and I had to purge about three years' worth of content, anything, the word cocoa, I call it cocoa, but um, apparently there's still, um, yeah, I'm still getting strikes. Um, I got a strike for a video that... um, this um, lady from Texas, she had dreams about Jeffrey Epstein still being alive, and he was working with the Mossad. Uh, YouTube branded that um, video as um, online bullying and harassment. Online harassment.